have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 1? Matthew chapter 1. We'll finish our time in Matthew 1 this week. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 18 through 25. Last week, we asked what's in a name. And we looked at the name that the angel instructed Joseph to marry, uh, to assign to his son, the name of Jesus. But now we see a second name, an older name. And we're going to look at that this morning. Beginning in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray to the Lord together. Heavenly Father, how wonderful it is that we come to you in the name of Jesus. The name that literally means you save. The name that reminds us that you are here with us. We are not alone. We are not by ourselves. We do not have to figure all this out by our own strength and by our own ingenuity. You you are here and you are at arm's length ready for your people to call on your name. And so Father... There are many places that we could be and there are many things that we could do and there are many forms of rest that we can take. But today, we as the children of God identify the true source of rest, the true source of joy by gathering together today in the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, I pray that whatever place that name takes in the hearts of the people that are here today, that you would elevate it. That the name of Jesus would be front and center in our lives and front and center in our minds and front and center in our decision making and front and center in our family and front and center in our marriages and front and center so that all of our devotion and all of our energy is channeled through the name of Jesus. Lord, draw us into deeper worship today. Let us see the name of Jesus more beautifully today, more powerfully And we ask these things in his name now. Amen. You may be seated. We have a short video I want you to watch. So you guys just tune in and, uh, and watch this for just a second. Diane and Dan McGill remember the day their granddaughter Tori enlisted. Oh, what does she do? She is um, a combat engineer, isn't she? Going to combat engineer in the Missouri National Guard, and she's deployed in in, uh, Kuwait right now. Or so they've been told. The ruse was on. Tori still back in Kuwait. Well, it's morning over there, so she said, "Good morning, I love you." 
I hope you enjoy my shout out. Can't wait for you to see it. What they don't know is Tori is seated just above them. So I wanted to make it really, really special and a surprise that they would never suspect. So she and mom Heidi schemed together for a Safeco surprise and then the Mariners made it a much bigger deal. The story to grandma kept changing. Uh, tell more lies. <laughs> so she can't figure out which lie is the one that's the most important. Yeah. We've had to go into full boot mode. Totally, totally. During the fourth inning, they were expecting a shout out from Kuwait on the big screen. But what they got was much more personal. I'm going to shake you up on it. I guess as many of those as I see, I get shook up every time. You know what's happening. You know what's coming. And it still shakes you up. I want you to think about the picture that you have there, though. Here you have a family. And what they're expecting is a gift from their daughter. And they're there. They've got all their Mariners gear on. And they're excited. And they can't wait to see this special message that's coming from their daughter, whom they haven't seen in a very long time, who, who you know they're, they're praying for every night that she would be safe and be well and be okay. And they're just they're there hanging on the edge of their seats waiting for a gift. But what they get is not a gift. What they get is much better than a gift. What they get is their daughter. What they get is her, their little girl. She didn't send a gift. She came herself. That's a picture of what's happening in Christmas. You have the people of God, and what are they waiting for? They're waiting for the gift from God. They're waiting on God to raise up a man to be the Messiah, to, to take over Rome and to reestablish the throne of David. They're waiting on God to, to send a man that, that they would have some renewed sense of hope. And their hope is largely, essentially political, that God would raise up and, and gift them with this great, charismatic, political leader. But God gives them something greater than that, doesn't he? God doesn't just send them a gift. He comes himself. He comes himself in a form that they could not anticipate, in a, in a way that is more beautiful than they could have ever articulated, in a way that is, that is so mysterious and so profound that they have trouble even, re, even recognizing the gift that has really been sent. And it's the nature of this coming. It's the nature of God's gift-giving. Not a person, not a man, not a political leader, but himself that we have represented here in the second name of Jesus that is given to us in Matthew chapter 1. So last week I told you there are, there are two names. One that was new in the scripture and one that was very old in the scripture. And so what we saw last week is the name of Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. And what we said about Jesus is that Jesus has come to accomplish God's mission. Jesus, namely looking into what it means that, that he was assigned this particular name, means that Jesus has come to accomplish God's mission. I want you to look at that second blank on your sheets this morning because what I want us to look at this morning is that older name, that name that dates back 700 years to Daniel chapter 7, the name Emmanuel. And I want us to see that Emmanuel has come to keep God's promise. Emmanuel has come to keep God's promise. So we, I want you to 
First and foremost, maybe you're new to studying the Bible, and this is exciting for me. If you're new to studying the Bible, this kind of stuff cranks my tractor. What I want you to understand, when we refer to Jesus, we refer to Emmanuel, we are referring to one and the same God-man, the Son of God, the one who has come as our Savior to deliver us from our sins. And so these are two names given to the same, the same Son of God who has, come, who has come and was sent that we might be made right with God. All right. So Emmanuel. Now, what's interesting here is that there is some discrepancy as to who in the text is calling for him to be named Emmanuel. It says there in verse one, or chapter one, verse twenty-three: "Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us." And there's two schools of thoughts among commentators. One is is that the angel is actually still talking here. And so the angel that instructed uh, Joseph to name him Jesus is also at the same time bringing Joseph's mind to Isaiah chapter 7 to say, this is Jesus and this is Emmanuel. You will name him Jesus and his name is already Emmanuel, right? The second way of thinking about this is to think about the way that Matthew very frequently writes. So Matthew throughout his gospel is interjecting commentary, interjecting Thoughts divinely inspired, superintended by the Holy Spirit, but commentary that help us and help even more particular his original audience be able to make the connections that he's wanting them to make so that they can understand who Jesus actually is. And so the other thought is Matthew writing to a primarily Jewish audience is doing something that Matthew very frequently does and pointing us back to Old Testament prophecy so that we can see here that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises that have come before him. That Jesus is the, is the fulfillment of what Isaiah said way 700 years before his birth. That this is the gift that they've been waiting for. This is the prize that they've been looking for. And even though they're having trouble recognizing him, and even though they're having trouble seeing it, that if they will look through the lens of Scripture, if they will look through what God has said about the Messiah who was to come, what they will recognize is that even 700 years prior, it was never a political leader that was to come. It was Emmanuel God with us. It was God himself stepping into his cosmos that he might come and reconcile us to himself. Having studied Matthew, it's my, my belief, I would go with that second interpretation. I, I think this is Matthew telling us and helping us make these connections into our minds. And so you have, you have the angel coming and he's giving the, the, the common name, Jesus, Yahweh saves, bringing into mind. And then you have Matthew interjecting, saying this isn't just Jesus, this is Emmanuel. This is the one that we've been looking for. This is the one that has been long since promised. And so he's bringing into our minds when he says that this name means God with us, he's, not, he's helping us to, to understand the main point that he's trying to make. That this isn't just an aimless, aimless name. We talked about that last week, right? That, that Jewish names typically gave an identification of the future, a job description of types, uh, uh, an understanding of who they anticipated and expected the, the character of this person to be and the role that they were to play within the kingdom of God. And so here, Emmanuel is functioning one and the same. And so he even tells us this is what it means you don't have to guess you don't have to go to a concordance you don't have to look at a greek lexicon the name emmanuel means god is with us point blank now 
the idea here that what and what I believe Matthew is bringing to the minds of those Jewish readers who were so familiar with the Old Testament is that Jesus, the one who has come, is now tethered to those promises that are that had long been before the birth to the virgin. That he is tethered to one of the most significant promises that was made by God to his people. And I believe that it's this promise that was made by God to his people that is now being secured and fulfilled in Jesus. That is the hope and the joy that we can have this Christmas season. What's that promise? God had always promised that he would not be like the other gods. All of the other gods were mysterious and distant and, and ornery and temperamental and, and far away. And you didn't know if they were coming or if they weren't going to show. You didn't know if they liked you or if they hated you altogether. You didn't know where you stood with them. And they were, they were cold and they were distant and they were impersonal. But God says, I'm not going to relate to my people that way. I want you to build my tent right in the midst of the tents of my people because I am going to be a God that is within arm's length of my people. I am going to be a God that has an abiding, remaining presence with my people. My people are always going to be able to look and to know I am with them. And so he had long promised this to them. Listen to what he says to Isaac in Genesis uh, chapter 26 verse 3. Sojourn in this island and what? And I will be with you. I'm not going to be looking down on you. I'm not going to be away from you. You're not going to have to have to do some special ritual to, to garner my, my attention or my presence. My presence is being promised to you. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you. And because I am with you, I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all of these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. This promise he repeats. I want you to see this. He repeats this to Jacob in Genesis chapter 31. He says, then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the Lord of your fathers and to your kindred and what? And I will be with you. Do you see the centrality of this promise as he's establishing Israel as a nation, as he's assuring them of a promised land? And he's saying, even before you get to the promised land, even before you enjoy the fullness of what I have before you, what you will know, what you will experience is blessing because in your, pre in your midst, I will be there. I will be with you wherever you go, even as you sojourn, even as you wonder. And one day, one day you're going to get to the promised land and you're going to see this in full. All right, let's keep going. Moses chapter 3, what's happening here? Remember, this has been aimed at the promised land. Exodus chapter 3, God comes to Moses to do what? To deliver his people out of slavery from Egypt so that they can go to the promised land. Now, this is a job too big for a man. And Moses, he blinks and he thinks, I can't do this. This is out of my league. This is too far away from me. And listen to what God says. He said, but... I will be with you, repeating that old promise. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. What you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Moses, I know you can't. Moses, I know you're weak. Moses, I know you stutter. Moses, I know you're scared. Moses, I know you're insecure. But I will be with you. Did I not promise to Isaac? Did I not promise to Jacob? Do you think my promise has been revoked to you? No, Moses, I am sending you. But I'm not just sending you. I am going with you. Now listen, they come into the promised land. 
They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of their own sin. And even there, even there, God is with them. They come to the edge of the promised land and Moses' successor, Joshua, takes over and Joshua blinks and Joshua is nervous and Joshua is scared. Wouldn't you be? They're facing the impenetrable walls of Jericho and who knows what else on the other side. They've already got spies that have come back and said that the men here are like giants and are insurmountable. But what does God say? Does God tell them something new? No, God tells them something wonderful. God tells them something old. God goes back and he recounts the promise. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Oh, are you telling me to pick myself up by the bootstraps, Lord? Are you telling me to be tougher, Lord? Are you telling me to be more callous, Lord? Are you telling me to be stronger, Lord? No, I am not telling you any of those things. I am telling you to remember what I said, to remember what I promised. I'm telling you to trust in my toughness and in my strength. How do you know? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. See, tethered to a promise is Emmanuel. The fulfillment of what God had promised to Isaac and to Jacob and to Moses and to Joshua. The privilege of his presence in our lives. And the way that the people of God are meant to understand the presence of God in their lives is that the presence of God assures security. The presence of God assures peace. The presence of God assures provision and protection. What hope do I have? Is that, do I need to be tougher? Man, that's what the magazines say. What hope do I have? Do I need to be more mentally sound? No, 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 no. That's what Facebook says. What hope do I have? Not to look in here. Not to try to get stronger within. Not to build some internal strength. The hope that I have is in this old promise that Jesus' very name is tethered to. That God is with us. It reminds me of, uh, of my kids. You know, my kids are probably like a lot of y'all's kids and a lot of y'all's grandkids and a lot of the kids that you had in your house growing up because they're a lot like I was, I remember being. They're afraid of the dark. Sometimes I love to hear my, my little Sarah say things like this. This is what she does. When she knows that she really, she really doesn't want to be afraid, but she just is. And, she just, and Sarah is of the resolve that like she's not going to cave just because somebody tries to manipulate and guilt trip her into something. She'll say, um, you know, I'm still five. And I'm, I'm still afraid of the dark. Uh, and she has a very, very matter-of-fact way of, of saying things. And so you, you put them to bed in their room, and basically they want so many lights on there. Her room, Gracie's room becomes like a tanning bed in there. I mean, I, I don't know how any person on earth, when we got the Little Mermaid nightlight going, we got the closet light open, we got the hall light on, she wants the lamp on. I mean, it's just completely illuminated. Like There's no human being on earth that can sleep this way, right? But inevitably, inevitably, over the course of the night, they get scared. And I remember being like that, right? Because you don't know what that sound is. You, you don't really know what's lurking out there. You, you, you watch The Wizard of Oz, and it kind of freaks you out. You don't really know if, if the Wicked Witch of the West, is she on the other side of the door? Is she in my closet? I think she's under the bed. And so you've got to freak out, right? And so this is what they do. We wake up, and we have this chair in our room. And we will, it is not uncommon for us to wake up and we have two girls curled up, somehow contorted, doing gymnastics 
to sleep in this chair that's in our room. Now, what I find ironic about that is that my room is a lot darker than their room. I've got the curtains drawn. I do not have a little mermaid nightlight. Now, if you want to give me a Ninja Turtle, I'd look into it. I don't have the closet light on. We don't have the bathroom light on. We don't have the hall light on. We sure don't have a lamp on. Her room is dim, but my room is dark. But on that chair, in the darker room, she can sleep. They can sleep without a worry in the world, without any concern at all. Why? Daddy's there. Mama's there. My parents are there. Their presence. They're close. If I scream, they will hear me. If I reach, I can touch them. I know they are right there. Do you see the promise? Do you see the promise? You can walk through the darkest night with peace in your soul, with joy in your life, with comfort that is beyond recognition, that is in that, that is in able, unable to be articulated. You, you, can, you can rest because why? Because the Father is there, because He is in your presence, because you can reach out and you can take hold of His hand, because you can call and He can hear you, because He is willing to come at a moment's notice to rescue you, right? So you have the rest of your friends and their lives are dim and they're coming apart and they're unraveling. Because they're trying to do it alone. But you, you in the midst of darkness, you, you have hope because the Lord, the Lord is with you. God is with you. And that's why, that's why as Christians, we don't have to drown out our problems with Netflix or alcohol or pills. We don't have to turn to addictions. We don't have to turn to, to, uh, to, to, to work and try to work ourselves. So we don't have to think about anything. We don't, we don't turn to all of those things. Why? Because the Lord is with us. We have something far greater. We are secure in the Lord. Our joy is given in the Lord. Life is promised in the Lord. And right here in his presence, we are. But there's a problem. There's a problem. And I think that's what's primarily in Matthew's mind here when he quotes Isaiah chapter 7. And he says, this is Emmanuel, God with us, the one that was promised to be born to a virgin. And what's the problem? The problem is not with the promise. The promise is a good promise. It is a hope-giving, life-giving, joy-inducing promise. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. The promise is not with the promise giver. God is perfect and pure and wonderful. God is giving a promise because he is gracious and kind and generous and wonderful. The problem is with us. The problem is, is that the promise is conditional and you and I never met the conditions for five seconds in our whole lives. That the, the promise of God's presence with his people was always intended to be contingent upon their commitment, devotion, and obedience to him. That the promise of the presence is, I will be your God, you will be my people, I will bless you so long as you love me, so long as you obey me. For I am a jealous God and I am unwilling to share you with all of the other gods of the earth. So there will be no idols here and there will be no stealing here and there will be no coveting here and there will be no false worship here. But if you will devote yourself to me, you will know the goodness of my presence in a way that no other people can know it. 
And I want you to see this specifically in Exodus chapter 33. Remember, what, what's the promise in Exodus chapter 3? The promise in Exodus, Exodus chapter 3 to Moses is, I am going to be with you. Don't be worried. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't fear anything. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to deliver you from Pharaoh. I'm going to bring you into the promised land so that you can enjoy it. And then they go up on, on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20, and Moses receives the tablets. And you read between Exodus chapter 20 and Exodus chapter 32, and you, you have all of these stipulations that are given. All right, this is what's going to happen. And if you do this, I will bless you. And if you don't do this, I will curse you. If this is in your life, you're going to experience my curses. If, you, if this is in your life, you're going to experience my, my blessings. And so you're getting the stipulations of the covenant and the, and the curses and the blessings and Here's Israel who have entered into a covenant with God. And what's their first five-second reaction? Hey, let's take out our teeth and our gold and let's melt it down and let's, let's bow down and worship the cow. Right? So what does God say? You can see the conditional nature of this old covenant promise. He tells Moses, he said, go up, go ahead, go to Canaan. Go into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. The presence of a holy God cannot exist and coexist in the presence of sinners without the holiness of God consuming the sinners. And so God is not going with them, for it is better for them if he does not. Because if he goes with them, he says, I will consume you. I will destroy you. You have sinned against me. You have broken your word. You have disobeyed me. You do not love me. You want what everybody else has. You want a life that is rooted and established here in the world. You want the treasures that your eyes can see. You want what money can buy. But I am calling you to a life higher than I am calling you to a love that is greater than that. And Listen to what Moses says. Moses understands this. Moses understands the dire situation. And listen, he says, and he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And so what Moses says, he says, if your presence isn't going to go with us, if your presence is not going to enter the promised land, we do not want milk and honey. We do not want the prosperity of Canaan. We do not want the blessings of that promise. What we want fundamentally above the milk and honey, above the, the clusters of grapes, above the prosperity, prosperity above the riches what we want preeminently is your presence with us and if your presence is going to reside here in the wilderness let us stay in the wilderness because because why that's our identity that's what makes me distinct that's what marks your people your people are not primarily marked by physical wealth and your people are not primarily marked by, by a, a fruitful and prosperous land. Your, fee, your people are fundamentally, preeminently marked and identified as those who have the presence of God. That is our distinctive. That's what makes us unique. That's what gives us rest. That's what gives us security. That's what gives us peace. So Moses gets it. That the, that the promise is insecure because of the disobedience of the people. But the only hope that the people have is that God delivers somehow on this promise anyway. Even though the conditions from the people have not been met. You see, whenever you read conditions in the Bible, 
you can go ahead and rest assured that that is not going to be delivered. Whenever there are conditions given to people that they have to do something in order to receive something from God, you can go ahead and just write it down. They are not going to receive it because what did Adam and Eve do in the first five seconds? Oh, I think I'll just go ahead and eat of that tree anyway. Oh, there's conditions. I think I'll just go ahead and eat of that tree. And every person ever since has done the same thing. We have inherited Adam's, Adam's sin nature and defiance and rebellious spirit. And all of us are always rebelling against the Lord. He gives us conditions and we break those conditions. And if our salvation, our security, our joy, our peace, our hope is contingent upon me and you meeting the certain conditions of the Lord, we are never going to meet them. So what hope do we have? This is Matthew's point. The hope that we have whenever there are conditions given in Scripture for us to enjoy a promise from God is that God himself comes and meets those conditions. The hope that we have to enjoy salvation and joy and peace is not found within, it is found in Him. It is found that He would come and in our stead meet the conditions on our behalf that He would make provisions in us, in His plan, that we might be able to enjoy those promises anyway. So who is Jesus? Who is Emmanuel? He is God. God who came to meet the conditions so that we can enjoy the promises. I want you to see this. This is, this is beautiful. All right, so this is, we, we typically think of the Christmas story as the story about the sun. As the story about the sun. And, and we have this idea that the Christmas is all about the goodness of the Son. But brothers and sisters, we serve and worship a triune God. God and Father, Son, and Spirit. We worship a God who has existed as one God, monotheism, but who exists co-eternally as three persons who are distinct and who have certain roles that they play. And what we see in the Christmas story is not just the goodness of the Son. What we see in the Christmas story is the goodness and the glory and the, and the kindness and the, and the grace of the triune God who has made provision to come down and meet those conditions and to secure that promise for us so that I can be secure, so that you can be secure. And so his name is God with us so that we might know that it is God that has done all the meeting of the conditions. Let me, let me, say, let me show you where I see the triune work of God because this is beautiful, all right? Here, here's, here's, here's what I'm committed to in preaching and teaching. I'm committed to giving you a bigger view of God. I want you to have a bigger view of God. Your, your view of God is too small. I don't care how big it is. Your view of God is too small. As big as it ought to be, like, as big as it might be, your view of God is just too small. But look at what we see here. You see in verse 20 in verse uh, 22, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. All right, so how, who, is the, who do we understand the Lord to refer to within the Godhead? The Lord refers to whom? The Father, right? And what we see throughout Scripture, beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and going all the way through Revelation, is that it is the Father who decrees the will as the sovereign Lord. It is the Father who speaks through his prophets. It is the Father who unveils his plan of providence. And so what we're seeing here is whose plan is it to meet the conditions, to satisfy the promise that you can enjoy peace and security? It's the Father's plan. 
It comes from the goodness of the Father. It comes through the plan of the Father. It comes from the, from the, through the providence of the Father. That it is the Father that is endeavored to make sure that there is a way that you can be saved. And how does the Father always accomplish it? How did the Father speak Genesis chapter 1, so that all might be made. Colossians chapter 1, by through him, for, by him and for him, all things through him have been made. Christ, through the Son. Right? So where do we see this? All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 23, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. How is this going to take place? How is the plan going to be accomplished? How is the Lord going to see that his plan is unveiled so that we might be secured in the promise? Through the life of the Son. Through the life of the Son. But by what power? By what power? In Genesis chapter 1, it is the spirit that hovers over the blank canvas that is the cosmos. It is the, it is the spirit that hovers over the waters of the deep and all of the chaos. And so it is made by the word of the Father. And it is accomplished through the, the sovereignty of the Son. But it is accomplished by the power of the Spirit. And how? What is the sign that that is the Son that we're talking about? Where is the sign that this really is God who lives with us? That this is really God who has come to meet our conditions on our what is the sign? The sign is that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so what we have is a picture, a beautiful, wonderful picture of the commitment that the triune God has made that we might know without being consumed, that we might know in a way that comforts us and does not destroy us, in a way that secures us and does not does not crush us or smite us the very presence of God in our lives and you know what this means this means you can face your life this means you can face your life however big the stuff is in your life some of you have experienced loss that I can't even begin to wrap my head around you've lost children and you've put them in the ground You've lost, you've lost brothers and sisters. You've lost a, a daddy and a mama. You've, you've lost people that didn't die. They just left your life and betrayed you. And, and you're just left holding the bag, not really knowing that, that the husband or the daddy that you never even met just was going to walk away. Some of you have illnesses and chronic pain that just will not subside. Some of you are single and you thought by now you'd be married. And that's big. And, and some of you, you're, you're every, every month, you, you, you find out once again that you are still struggling and battling and facing down infertility. Some of you have abuse in your past, and you've been, you've been abused and faced trauma that is filled with pain that is incomprehensible. How do you face it? You can't ignore it. You can't drown it. You can't cover it. You have to face it. But you do not face it alone. You do not face it in your strength. You do not face it with your wisdom. You do not face it with your own imagination. You do not face it with your own wherewithal. You do not face it with your own mental health. You face it in the presence of the living God who has met himself every condition by the triune action of the living God so that he might be with you in the darkest night. Oh yeah, you can sleep in the dark. 
you can sleep in the dark because your father, your father is in arm's length. But his name is not, does it not just mean God. It means God with us. God with us. And that is significant in the securing of this promise that what we have here in this name, Emmanuel, given this hundreds of years prior, is we have this idea that the divine nature of God will be mysteriously somehow joined with the human nature. And I want you to think about what that means. First of all, it means that Jesus understands us. It means that Jesus understands us. I want you to think about Mary and Joseph's role in the story. I, I posted something. I've been meditating a lot on what it would have been like to just be Joseph in that whole experience and what that looks like and what that means for the mission of Jesus. But we get lost sometimes that Mary and Joseph were called to a hard obedience here. They were called to a hard obedience, weren't they? You have this little teenage girl who's excited to get married and then all of a sudden an angel poofs onto the scene and tells her she's going to be pregnant and be publicly shamed and humiliated. She's got to go explain this somehow to her fiancé. That she was just an ordinary girl living an ordinary life, doing nothing particularly spectacular, and God intervened into her life, said that she was going to be the mother of his own son, and everything has changed forever. Her life got infinitely more difficult. She bursts onto the scene where she's going to be a name that is remembered throughout history forever. She's just a teenage bride. What a hard obedience. Think about Joseph. J- Joseph says that he's not going to divorce his wife, he's going, or that he's going to divorce his wife, but he's not going to shame her because he doesn't want to destroy her. He, he's shown to be an, an honorable man, but he's just an ordinary dude. He's a young man, probably a teenager himself. And now, now an angel poops onto the scene and says, no, 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 you're going to be the earthly dad. He's going to be double from the line of, of, of David, and I'm going to make sure that you're there, and you're going to be able to do it, and I'm going to be with you. But yeah, you're the one that's going to have to explain this to your parents. Can you imagine going and explaining that to the in-laws? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and marry your dad, dad, I promise. And you know there was all kinds of questions surrounding that, right? This was a hard obedience that they were called to. This was a difficult life that they were called to. But what we see in that he is Emmanuel, God with us, divine nature, joined with human nature, the hypostatic union, what we see is that God was not, un- not willing to call them to a life of hard obedience that he himself was unwilling to live. Jesus would understand what it meant to live a life of hard obedience. That Jesus would know what it's like to be gossiped about just like his mama did and just like his daddy did. Jesus would know what it's like to to walk and have people talking behind his back. And Jesus would know what it's like to be betrayed by people that he loves. Jesus would know what it's like to be escorted out of his own hometown and told not to return again. Jesus would know what it's like to obey the will of the Lord. And obeying the will of the Lord ultimately give up his very own life. Jesus would know. You know, it's really hard. It's really hard to be comforted by a counselor who's never walked in your shoes, isn't it? It's hard for someone to counsel you through abuse when they've never been afraid and lived in fear themselves. It's really hard to hear someone else grandstand to you about how you ought to endure with with joy the trials and sufferings of your chronic pain when they themselves have not woke up every single day of their lives hurting. 
It's, it's hard when someone else talks to you about your divorce and you know there was nothing else that you could do and yet you're there holding the bag and everybody else is looking at you like you're an equal partner in all of this. It's hard to take advice from someone who lives up in an ivory tower. And we do not serve a God like that. That one of the reasons that God, that Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, can be described in Isaiah chapter 9 as wonderful counselor is because he knows our pain. He knows our struggles firsthand. He is not like the other gods that, that decrees from on high and just expects us to endure it. He is the God who came and lived with us and suffered with us and hurt with us and was hungry with us and cried with us. He is the incarnational God that walked on the dirty streets and endured the scorn of his friends and was rejected by the love of his people till ultimately his very own people said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. He knows. He knows. He's God with us and he understands. But Jesus doesn't just understand. Jesus represents us. That's what it means. Jesus represents us. Remember what I told you? I told you that, that we were all born in Adam. That, In other words, we have a representative when we're born into this earth. And our representative is Adam. That as Adam was a sinner, we have inherited the sin nature from him. This is what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Our problem is, is that we are not just good people that do bad things. Our problem is, is that we are born with the sin nature inherited from Adam, and we do bad things because we're bad people on the inside. Because we have poor motives. We have corrupted hearts. We're made in the image of God. We are capable of, of wonderful good. But all of that good has been defiled by the fall and by sin. And what we need, what we need is a representative that can change all of that, that can put life where death was, that can put righteousness where sin was, that can make holy that which has been defiled. And who can do that? Only God. Only God is holy. Only God is righteous. Only, only God is able to overthrow death. But how can God represent me? A pipsqueak. You know what Isaiah chapter 40 says? It says I'm like grass. Isn't that a, isn't that a wonderful thought? I'm like grass. That I, I, I grow, wither, and die all within a season. I'm like a, I'm like a grasshopper. And he is the Lord ready to thump me off the earth. Squash me under his Johnson and Murphys. You know what I'm saying? How can God represent me by becoming a man? Who saw that coming? Reading the whole Old Testament. Who saw that coming? He wasn't sending a political leader. He wasn't sending some temporary Messiah. He was coming himself to take on the form of a man, to humble himself, to be humiliated before men. The one before him, all the cherubim in heaven are saying, holy, 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 has come that I might have a new representative, that I might have life where I now have death, where I might have righteousness, where I ought to have sin. This is Paul's point when he continues in Romans chapter 5 and he says, For if by one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. That Jesus came, brothers and sisters, and he was God with us. He was fully God and he was fully man, able to overcome death and, and able to overcome sin. But at the same time, as a man able to walk in my shoes and to live my life, the life I could never live, that he might represent me before God, infinite, able to bear the weight of my infinite sin, but finite in that he could actually die, do that one thing which God cannot do. And he, as the God-man, divine and humanity, together in one, took my place. And by taking my place, what did he do? He met the conditions. He met the conditions of the promise. The promise made to Isaac. The promise made to Jacob. The promise made to Moses. The promise made to Joshua. He met the conditions of the promise that he had made with his people. So that now, now, the assurance in the new covenant is that the promise is no longer in peril. The promise is no longer insecure. Now, God is with us and being with us. He will not consume us. He will bless us. He will protect us. He will provide for us. He will deliver us from death into life, from sin into righteousness. So you know what that means? Right now, this very second, God is with you. God is with you. When you get in your car and you're driving your kids to Burger King this afternoon to hit the drive-thru, God is with you. When you're in the darkest night, God is with you. When that unexpected twist happens at work, God is with you. When old wounds resurface and old traumas come back, God is with you. And there is nothing that you can do if you are in Christ to break that. Why? You didn't meet the condition. He did. And because he has met the condition, the condition is infinitely met, eternally met. And now you abide with Christ in the presence of God forever. Oh, brothers and sisters, tonight, when you lay your head on the pillow and you tuck your kids in, remind them, and then turn off the lights. Because we don't have to be afraid of the dark anymore. Let's pray to the Lord together. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, and what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. We would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.